my major Jesus Christus. This is Father Ripper Burns, superior to society, the most sorrowful mother and spiritual director of Libra Cristo, inviting you to join the instructors Kyle and Dan, and now your host, Jesse Romero, at the Libra Cristo War College, where you will receive instruction and briefing on Catholic spiritual warfare. Welcome to the Libra Cristo War College Situation Room. This is the Holy Hour of Power. This is presented to you every single Wednesday by the Libra Cristo Foundation. I'm your host, Jesse Romero. Drawing on 2,000 years of Catholic tradition and teaching, Liber Christo provides education, consultation, and development of case-specific protocols and spiritual weapons for bishops, priests, deacons, mental health professionals, and laity involved in the perennial cosmic conflict between good and evil. For more information, go to LiberCristo.org. LiberCristo.org. Wednesday's show is the most unique show in all of Catholic media. We have, first of all, every single Wednesday, Father Ripper is going to be giving a brief teaching. He's the most erudite, uh, the most, uh, we would say, the most well-formed instructor on healing, deliverance, and exorcism in the Catholic Church, bar none. And then we have his two sidekicks, the two instructors at the Liber Crystal War College, Dan Schneider, our resident theologian, linguist, and, and strategic elements expert, and Dan, and, 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 and Kyle Clement, he's our case facilitator, and he's the administrator for the Society of Our Most Sorrowful Mother. I want you to listen to a teaching from Father Chad Ripperger, and then we're going to have Kyle, our weapons and tactics, ex, you know, our weapons and tactics guy, and Dan Schneider, our uh, strategic elements expert. They're going to break it down. The talk is going to be on the familial lines of authority this is the constant question that i get on my email what can i do what can't i do here we go father ripperger he's on then you have the um the uh the familial line and this deals with, and this has to do with primarily the father who's the head of the household and the mother. So in relationship to the father and the mother, there's, it's a very complex structure, but as we analyze it by the natural law and the way we even behave with people, we recognize that this structure is actually there. So the father who's head of the household, which we know both from the natural law and from, uh, we know this from the natural law, but also we know this from scripture. Scripture says the husband is the head of the household, etc. That um, authority then means that he has a twofold authority in relationship to his wife and his children. In relationship to his wife, he has, because he's the head of the household, he has the right to command the demons to leave. So let's just stop there for a minute. There's two kinds of prayers. There's imprecatory prayers and there's deprecatory prayers. Imprecatory prayers comes from the Latin word imperare, which means to command. So an imprecatory prayer is one which I can command the demon to leave. A deprecatory prayer comes from the Latin word deprecare, which means to pray or to petition. And so I can, uh, there's times if I don't have authority over a particular individual or over the thing, then I can petition Christ or Our Lady or what have you, some saint, please go and drive the demons out. So in that particular case, it's an indirect effect to the, to the demons. Whereas if I have the authority of it, in that prayer, I'm actually commanding the demon to leave if I have the authority. If I don't, then I'm actually asking Christ to 
ask them to leave. Okay. In relationship to the father, he has the right of imprecatory prayers over the totality of his family. Okay. In relationship to himself, and this is true also of ourselves, of anybody, because we have rights over our own body by the natural law, it's a circumscribed right. That is, the rights we have over our body is determined by the natural law. So women who want to have abortions, I have a right over my body. That's true. There's a certain sense when we ring that, that does ring true. But what they don't realize is that that right is determined by the natural law, which means it's not unconditional. There are certain conditions under which they have a certain right. Okay. So, but that means that we have the right, so he can command demons in relationship to himself. Because he's the head of household, he can command them in relationship to his wife and also in relationship to his children. Okay. Um, the second thing, and we'll parse out the children thing, because that's it, uh, the structure is a little bit different. In relationship to the wife, though, however, he also enters into a contract in relationship to marriage. Now, I realize that there's a lot of discussion, even on the side of the church, that marriage is a covenant. And there's some theologians who try to make the distinction between covenant and, uh, and contract, and that they say, well, a covenant isn't a contract because it's not a business affair. That's a failure to understand that in the tradition of the Catholic Church, there were 17 different kinds of contracts, morally speaking, not just business contracts. And that the contract was actually what? When you get married, you exchange bodily rights. You actually grant to the, under, the other individual rights over your body. That contract is the means by which the husband has rights over the body, the wife, uh, the body of the wife, and the wife over the body of the husband, and it's that contract and those rights which gives them the authority to use imprecatory prayers in relationship to each other. So the wife even has the right to use imprecatory prayers in relationship to her husband's body, and demons can only affect the body, so she has a right to say, you know, leave my husband alone, etc. Okay, so she has that right to do that. Um, a covenant, in fact, if you look up covenant in a traditional theological dictionary, the actual definition is a solemn contract. So it's actually not this contradistinction. It's just that some theologians just don't have a good, clear understanding of the church's traditional teaching on that. Okay. So that being the case, then the husband has rights over the, the, uh, the, the wife's body in two ways, one by virtue of being the head of the household, that is, by office of that, by, the, uh, by his office as the head of the household, but also in relationship to his, uh, the contract that he has with his wife. Okay. The wife doesn't have rights over the husband or authority over the husband because she's not his head, but she does have authority over his body. This is why the church has always said when it came to the marital debt that either spouse makes a reasonable request for the marital debt it was morally sinful because they have the rights to deny the marital debt because the spouse actually has a right over the person's body. So if the wife asks for the marital debt, the husband must render it under pain of mortal sin. This is the entire tradition of the church, must render it under the pain of mortal sin in order, uh, be, in order to fulfill that right that she has. This is, that's the section in Scripture where St. Paul says, be subject to one other when he's talking about um, the husband's at that mutual subjection. In other places, he says, wives, be subject to your husband. So there's a separate kind of subjection, and that's in relationship to the household. This is why Pius XII came out and said that the mutual subjection pertains only, only to the marital debt. It does not pertain to the head of the household, etc. Okay. But that structure is very key because it means that the wife can say, 
imprecatory prayers or command the demons to leave or bind demons in relationship to her husband and vice versa, but just the, the, where that authority comes from is a little bit different. Okay. In relationship to the children, the father has, because he's the head of the household, has a right in relationship to the boys and the girls in a different manner. Okay. In, in, in our culture, we just tend to think that as soon as girls reach the age of majority, they're on their own, and that's it. And that's actually not what the tradition of the church even says. And if you read the medieval uh, authors who write a lot about the natural law, they have a completely different view of this, and you actually see it playing itself in most Catholic countries until the last century. After that, everything started, the natural law started collapsing, and as a result of that, they all started going the way of the Protestants, ultimately. Okay, so in relationship to the boys, the father has the right to command the boys and to, uh, whenever they're a minor because they're under his authority while they're in the house. And as a result of that, because of his office of fatherhood, he has a right to command the demons to use imprecatory prayers in relationship to the demons. When they reach the age of majority, that right of command from the natural law shifts from the right of command to the right of counsel so that he has the right to give them counsel and may at time have the obligation to give them counsel. However, according to the moralists, because of the virtue, which is also part of the natural law, the virtue of piety. Now, piety, we tend to think of piety as, you know, an, an old lady praying in the back of her, in the back of the church. And that's actually not exactly what's going on there. That's actually what we would call dulia, by the way, so, or devotion, which is different from uh, piety. Piety is the virtue by which we honor our parents. Now, honor is the praise or recognition of excellence. What's excellence? St. Thomas says excellence is virtue uh, in the end. And we'll see how that plays a very key role in relationship to women. Okay. So what this basically means is, is that piety is the virtue by which I honor the parents. And so as a result of that, because of the, the, the natural law, St. Thomas says, commands all the virtues, I have an obligation to develop piety in relationship to my parents, which means I have an obligation to honor them, which basically means what? To recognize their excellence, having given me birth and raised me and making all those sacrifices, etc. I have an obligation to recognize that. That being the case, then as a result of that, that being the case, then I must normally do the bidding of my parents if they ask me to do something in order to recognize that excellence and give credence to that excellence, I must do that unless there's a sufficient reason to the contrary. So, and that might be my own family or my own vocation or what have you. I can tell, look, Dad, I can't do that because I have to go hear confessions, right? I can't come over your lawn because I have to go do confessions, okay? On the other hand, if the, if the, the father's gotten to the point where he just doesn't have ability to do that and the son has plenty of time and he calls his son and says, hey, can you come on my lawn? The son would ha normally have to do the bidding, again, unless there's a sufficient reason to the contrary. It's that foundation of piety that the father is said to be able to have imprecatory prayers, that is, to command the demons in relationship to the son, because the son normally has to do his bidding, not as a strict authority, but because of the requirements of the natural law itself. Again, the demons know the exact structure of the natural law, they must obey it, they must observe it. So when the Father is commanding them to leave out of, out of this excellence or obligation of piety on the side of the child and the child's binding, being bound to piety in relationship to that, they know they have to recognize that 
and so they won't retaliate against the father in relationship to the age of majority. In relationship to girls, there's a bit of a switch. According to the natural law, and you even see this in Scripture, the Scripture says that the husband is the head of the wife. Okay. Now, that phraseology is very key. Most people do not actually know the actual symbolism in a wedding ceremony. They don't have a clue. They just think it's wonderful, it looks so nice and etc. The father's giving the bride away and isn't that wonderful? That's actually not what's happening there. What's actually happening is this. The father, when the daughter is born, she's obviously, even as a minor, is under the father's headship. But the authors say that according to the natural law, in order to protect the honor of his daughter, the daughter remains under the headship of the father. That is, the father still continues with natural law rights in relationship to the daughter until the daughter marries. So at the wedding ceremony, the father leads the uh, daughter in by her arm to the ceremony. Her face is covered, it's veiled, which basically means that what's going to happen is, is this contract of bodily rights, exchange of bodily rights. The body is covered when she's brought in because it's what? The father's right to protect the bodily integrity and also the virtue of his daughter up until it's passed. Okay. So then he brings her up, he lifts the veil, which is a sign of you can now contract bodily rights with my daughter, which means you're going to have the rights over her, which I formally will have. Then he takes her hand, right hand, and passes it to her, to her future husband, which is a sign of passing of headship. So according to the uh, authors in the Middle Ages, the natural law determines that the daughter is under the father to protect her honor. What's honor? Recognition of excellence. What's excellence? Her virtue. It's his obligation to protect her virtue. So, and that's why in the past, if you wanted to marry some, some woman, you had to go get the permission of the father because he had the right to say, no, you're not, you're not the type of individual that's going to do right by my daughter, etc. Okay. So even after the age of majority, as a minor, she has to obey. Even after the age of majority, she must obey. And as a result of that, he, has impregat- uh, he can use imprecatory prayers or commanded prayers in relationship to his daughter. Once the headship is passed, then the husband can use it. The father can then, it shifts from that point to piety. She normally has to do the bidding of the father until such time as the father, uh, or until, unless there's sufficient reason to the contrary. If she has to take care of her kids and she can't get to her father right away, then she can't do that. So he can still use imprecatory prayers. Okay. In relationship to the mother, because of the office of motherhood, that's a true authority. One of the things you see from time to time among Catholics, which is a bit of a problem, or he's actually not among Catholics, is the father knows he's the head of the household, so he'll contravene his wife's authority without sufficient reason. That is contrary to right order. It's contrary to the natural law. The only time he should contravene his wife's authority when she gives uh, one of the kids a command is if it's going to be something uh, that it's contrary to right order. That is, that it's sinful or that it's going to long-term cause problems to the children. He should only contravene it in front of the children when there's grave cause, Otherwise, he should discuss it with her behind the scenes to maintain in the minds of the children that they have to obey the mother as well, not just the father. Okay. So the mother, in relationship to the sons, they have an obligation to obey her um, as minors. And so as a result of that, he has, she has the right to command the demons to leave uh, when they're minors. 
Same with the daughters. Okay. When the sons become the age of majority, it switches from right of counsel or right of command to right of counsel. Same with the daughters. She's not under the mother after she reaches the age of majority. She's still under the father, but not the mother. So that means that she has to obey the father, but she has to normally do the bidding of the mother unless there's a sufficient reason to the contrary because of the obligations of piety. So the mother can still command the daughter, the demons, in relationship to the daughter by virtue of the obligations of the fourth commandment in relationship to the natural law and that they must do their bidding. That is, the daughter is bound to normally do her bidding unless there's a sufficient reason to the contrary. And the same with the sons. Okay. You're listening to Liber Cristo War College Situation Room. I'm here with uh, the two instructors, Dan Schneider. He's our strategic elements expert. I'm here also with Kyle Clement. He's our weapons and tactics expert. You just heard Father Chad Ripperger. He's a superior of the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother. He just talks about the family lines of power and authority. We're going to have Dan and Kyle break this down. Dan, Kyle, let me ask a question here. In many Catholic parishes around the country, I've seen this in the last 25 years, because people don't understand, don't know this. This is a novel teaching. It's ancient, but it's novel because it's not being said. And so you have deliverance ministries, you know, set up by Mrs. Garcia in the basement on Tuesday night or Mrs. O'Connor on, on, on Wednesday afternoons. And they're pious women. They mean well. And they're trying to follow a Protestant model of helping people deliver from the from evil spirits because they don't know this because this power has been given to dad and mom. This is why this is so important for anybody listening to the show. You've got to you got to like this show, you got to hit the subscribe button, you got to share this show with others because this is Catholic gold because this is Catholic tradition that goes all the way back to the fourth commandment. Uh then you want to kind of break down the Again, the the distinction, Denikal, between the father's role and the mother's role. What are the nuances in terms of driving out the diabolical? Yeah, I'll, I'll start and pass off to Kyle. Um, father doesn't mention it here, but he defines. This is the reason we, we have to clarify where we're at. We're not talking about um, a strictly biblical interpretation, although our foundation is is scriptural. But nonetheless, we're looking at a Thomistic view of the human person. According to St. Thomas, what does a human person look like? So when we get into to Catholic spirituality, we're going to look at um, a, a Catholic uh, or patristic uh, and particularly Thomistic St. Thomas Aquinas view of the human person uh, psychologically. And also here, the focus, we'll, we'll get to that in a later episode. But in this episode, we're talking about natural law and divine law or what Father refers to as divine positive law. Positive meaning from to traditionally from from the the Latin to posit to place things that God placed in structure um, after it builds upon natural law. And here's why: this isn't because this is an academic endeavor whatsoever. This is a spiritual endeavor. So Father lays forth our understanding of human nature, authority, and structure according to Saint Thomas. Not just because that's his field of expertise. But in experience, his experience and our own flowing through his is that this is the way the diabolic world understands not only the human person, but the rules of engagement. Remember another definition of a demon, what father calls a demon is a lawyer from hell. 
Uh, and so they know the laws. And, and, and Revelation uh, uh, tw uh, 11 uh, or 12, we see um, uh, after the vision of St. John, the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, the woman, uh, the dragon, the archangel, St. Michael, we see that the, the, de the, the devil, St. John says, is, uh, is um, sits before the throne or stands before the throne of God the Father, day and night condemning the brethren. And so his legalistic tendencies, the, 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 the lawyer from hell, is to, is to exact punishment and retaliation for those who go outside the structure of natural law what God has ordained. And this is what he does day and night. This is why we're, we're very cautious about Mrs. Garcia in the basement of the church or her own basement doing deliverance, because it isn't that we don't think these, these are things that need to be done. It's because of retaliation. Father mentioned it, that when you op operate outside of the structure, there's retaliation. So this is one of the unique things that, of Libra Cristo that, that we do uh, uh, in conjunction with the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother is to help educate on the way uh, uh, natural law works and also divine positive law. And so he lays out this, this teaching of his is very, very critical to us because as you say, Jesse, you get these emails all the time. So do we, so do I, after, after conferences, people always want to know, how can I pray? Uh, how, how can I help my children? You know, and the question is how old are they? And father breaks it out very clearly. There's a difference between husband and wife, mother, father, father, daughter, etc. Um, so, so those principles are one to lay forth first. And another thing that most, most Catholics and, and don't understand this, this, this distinction. And if you get the book, Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity, Father's Book for, for Deliverance Prayers that we can use safely as lay people, in the opening chapter, he, he belabors the point of authority and he defines imprecatory and deprecatory prayer. So, what we're talking about is imprecatory, just for definition purposes. Prechis, if you look at the Latin ritual of, of mass, prechis are prayers, basically, a beseeching of God, the Latin word for to beseech or to, you know, to beseech, to beg God, etc. So M is, is a, it, it's the on top of, okay, uh, to calling on top of. Uh, Day is from below. So imprecatory, um, that's the root of the word. Imprecatory is to, is to command uh, with the language, something like in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind, I do this, I do that. Deprecatory is very simple. May Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, or Lord, may you do this and that. May you drive this or that demon out. That's always so a safer I, route, right, Dan? It's always a safer route. Yeah. It's always a safer route. And the barometer is always going to be retaliation. And so um, retaliation is going to come back and retaliate. So if we're operating outside of our own authority structure and our own vocation and our own marital or vocational construct, if we operate outside of that authority, that construct itself becomes vulnerable to retaliation. So, so this is why before we even get into unpacking his teachings, we needed to kind of define the terms and the positionality of where we're coming from, where Father's coming from, why this is important. Because the, the, what we've noticed in the field, again, this is field experience, that the demon doesn't, they're lawyers from hell, but they also don't. There's not, we don't have what we, we don't have discovery. Okay. Which means we, the demon, we don't, we can't demand from the demon that he disclose all of his information. The priest has like the, a court the of law, discovery evidence, right? Exactly. We don't have that right. Uh, the demon can hide what he wants to present against us on his own and we don't have the right. So we have to go back to the tradition of a church to understand the laws. Put, put another way, the, there's rules of engagement. He does not want us to know. He doesn't. It's like we're playing baseball and we don't know the rules. And he says two strikes and you're out. 
you get to the fourth ball and you say, can I go to first base? And the demons, the demon umpire says, no, you got to need six balls to get to first base, you know, only one out per inning, you know, so, so he, he, he obscures the rules of the of engagement. So this is one of the, the really geniuses of Father Ripperger's approach, which we're seeing. And, and, and again, field working out in the field is this understanding of natural law and divine positive law, natural law, what God inscripted into nature, apart from divine revelation through Christ and the church or, or through the Jewish people, say, in, in the Ten Commandments, that builds upon natural law. It's never in, it's never in, it's, it's in complementarity of natural law, but it makes it divine positive law. God places additional constructs uh, 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 or commandments upon human nature to help humans become truly free. And this is how we go from the Old Testament and, and, and understanding of natural law some divine law and divine revelation and the per perfect revelation in Jesus Christ. And this is the, this is the kind of the overarching backdrop to St. Paul's language of wives be subordinate to your husband. Um, and because, and this, this isn't, this isn't an obsequiousness uh, or a, my husband is better than me because he has, he is of the masculine gender. The Greek word here is upotasso. It, it's a military term. If you've ever, it, it's a, it's an amazing sight to see an army, and I had this perspective from a helicopter, to see a, a, a tank uh, 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 a tank company or a tank uh, uh, division arrayed in battle, perfectly aligned, awaiting the commands. This is what the words be ordered under. Is the tank in front more important than the tank to his right or to his left? Absolutely not, but there is an order. This is not just mayhem. And, and so this is why Wives be subordinate to your husband needs to be ordered under. This is part of the natural law and now divine positive law, right? For the freedom of humanity and the defense of the woman. Again, when you break natural law structures, retaliation comes. And so Ms. Garcia, who's doing deliverance prayer meetings, she's outside of authority, not only the authority of, of, of her husband, but also authority of her pastor. Even if he grants it to her to have this meeting, outside Dan, of Dan, authority, what's gonna happen? Stop right there, Dan. Stop. I hear the music. Good stuff, high-level Catholic spiritual warfare with the two instructors from Liber Crystal War College Situation Room. We'll be right back talking about familial lines of authority. Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code VMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com Code VMPR, live porn free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith.
This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Liver Chris, a war call situation from the two instructors here, Dan Schneider, Kyle Clement. This information is so unique. This is not being taught anywhere, I'm telling you, but this is Catholic teaching. It's been around for 2,000 years based on natural law and positive law. Every single Wednesday, get the word out. Let people know about this show. We want to grow this show for the benefit of the entire Catholic Church. If you like what you hear, then like us, hit the subscribe button, and share this with other people in social media. This information is Catholic gold. Let's grow this show. I got Kyle here. Kyle's our, uh, he's uh, the case administrator for the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother. And uh, he's also the expert on weapons and tactics when it comes to Catholic spiritual warfare. Kyle, after hearing Father's lecture, it, it, now it makes sense to me that Satan doesn't want men to know this. He doesn't, because... And that's why I think Satan goes after men, because if he could wipe them out from from, from uh, understanding their, their, their position of authority in the family and the critical role they play, he can wipe out the family. And if men knew this information, Kyle, we would lay people wouldn't have to establish, you know, uh, deliverance uh, ministry uh, in the basement on Tuesday nights. This would be all gone if men understood who they were in Christ once again. Can you give an overview of uh, what uh, Father Ripperger just taught us? Just break it down. I think your observations are, <clears throat> are correct, uh, Jesse. If we get down a little bit closer to the trenches and look at it from a tactical standpoint, Dan did a great job with regard to theology and, and teaching lost. And I think we're all in agreement is the understanding that um, tradition precedes scripture. And for us, we have to understand that you can't go scripturally without the traditional um, input and the magisterial input. And so as Catholics, it's a totality. And so at different times of the church, you've had influence, um, a greater emphasis on tradition or a greater emphasis on scripture or a greater emphasis on magisterium. But it's a true balanced approach. It's the understanding that nothing that comes new can come without giving credence without giving place to that which came before. We've got a significant departure from moral theology starting in, the, in around 1960, where we've discarded 19 centuries of Catholic teaching and understanding. And that was not someone's opinion. That was just simply the way it is. When, when Dan uh, cites St. Thomas and doctor of the church and says, this is the way St. Thomas saw the human person, this is not unique to St. Thomas. He's not like a voice crying out in the, in the wilderness with a unique message. St. Thomas is codifying 15 centuries of Catholic tradition and understanding of the human person, of psychology, of diabolical influence, of all of these things. And so this is not true because St. Thomas says it. St. Thomas says it, and it's true. 
it, it, it's true independent of St. Thomas and it's, and it's in multiple places. So when we go to St. Thomas, you have on your shelf a Strong's Concordance. Strong invented nothing in that concordance. And so it's, an, it's a compilation of everything. St. Thomas's intellect was magnificent. He was a student of Albert the Great, the last man to know own, every known piece of knowledge within his lifetime. But it, the ability to intellectually sort, see the patterns, codify, and lay this out comes from, uh, you got to remember who St. Thomas was. There's a virginal purity there. He's a religious. He's chaste. He's, he's meeting his vows. And so when we have a modern theologian who is neither chaste nor meeting vows nor in a functional vocation, and he's opining on sacred scripture, immediately got to discount this in light of what the doctor of the church says. And so things have to stay settled. And so father is, is exactly right. It's not right because father says it, it's right. Truth is truth. We see it time after time. And again, from a tactical standpoint, the adversary's rules of engagement, what he wants to do, just like Dan said, is let's go to one of his basic tactics. One of his basic tax, tactics is to confuse the language, is to give different meanings and usages to words and practices. I'll take you specifically to a point that, that speaks to this and has a tactical implication. Father began his talk and, and Father speaks in a very formal way. So things are ordered. He, he takes subjects in, a, in an order in the same way that St. Thomas ranks. They're in a, in a primacy of importance. If you'll remember, he started this talk with the discussion about the use of the word covenant to describe marriage. So let's go directly to, and this is tactic, tactical, let's go to, to Canon 1055 in which marriage is defined as a covenant between two people who seek to form a partnership. That language is lifted, that definition in the 84 code is lifted directly out of the Vatican II document, Gaudium et Spes. And so we have a, a dubious document out of a dubious council, and now this definition is inserted into canon law as if it was always there. That's not there in the 17 code. It's not there in the Tridentine code. It's, it doesn't appear, the use of the word covenant in this misuse, as well as partnership, what was happening. The Catholic hierarchy was trying to modernize the church. They were trying to address the proliferation of divorce and annulment and it was weakening the very constructs of marriage. So what the, the demon does is tactically he starts a movement, and this movement is against the integrity of, the, of a sacramental structure, the structure of sacrament, which is marriage, matri holy matrimony. And so what the demon is focusing on, strategically he's focusing on the flow of grace into humanity through the sacraments, tactically, he is changing the definition, changing how we view it, and what flows out of that is this disruption of right order and authority. The idea of marriage prep, marriage prep done by a third party. Marriage prep used to be done by the future in-laws who met with their children who were about to be married, and everyone sat at a table because families married families, not individuals marrying individuals. This was, this was old school. This was when when we were victorious over demons. And Dan's exactly right. The reason that they're beating us up constantly is we don't know the rules. 
We don't know our heritage. We don't know the rules. We don't know all of these things. It's as if our Catholic heritage is a very complex sports car and we're using first gear to drive down to the mailbox and check the mail. This thing will do way more things than you think it will. Your Catholic faith will do amazing things cosmically. You will do amazing things cosmically if you know the owner's manual. What is the owner's manual? The faith and every element of it. So the demon wants to make you ignorant of your heritage, ignorant of your faith. That's the tactics. And so when Father's saying that authority uh, is such a, a pivotal piece, I'll give you a case example just to kind of punctuate my point. Here's a case example. The case comes to us, a woman had, a young woman had gone to discern uh, vocation. She had a manifestation in the convent. Uh, there was an issue. So what came out within, with questioning was, um, what is your relationship to your father, which is ultimately authority? Well, I'd been living my, on my own with a bunch of other Catholic women. I was out of the house. This is what is known as a loose woman. She's not under any authority. She's not under masculine authority. She's not married. She's not betrothed. And she's living outside her father's headship, outside her father's uh, authority. And so she and a group of other women, loose women, outside authority, have formed an unreligious community, and they're, quote, discerning. Well, what they're doing is living for themselves. They're not discerning. Discerning has a real meaning, but this is what opens her up to the adversary. So the affliction starts when she goes to the convent, and she's wanting to place herself under right authority, and so she immediately has a manifestation in response to the mother superior. So we get the call. The prescription, move back into your father's house. Well, I can't. I've got an apartment. I've got these relationships. No, you sever all of that. You move back into your father's house and subject yourself to his authority for 40 days. And then at the end of that clarity of praying the protocol and subjecting yourself to his authority for 40 days, then we'll see where we are. It was a light level obsession. She self-delivered within the 40 days. Family relationships are absolutely repaired. There was starting to creep in a same-sex attraction suggestion that's gone, that's absolutely gone. But through the protocol, through the monastic response of Liber Cristo, through that, right order is restored, authority is restored, and now she has the clarity to truly discern what to do with her life, either be married or join a religious order. So I can't give a clearer example than that actual case, which resolved about two weeks ago. Kyle, this is this is absolutely Catholic gold, uh, and I'm saying this because, as a retired cop, one of the one of the things that I saw just t turn the television on, the riots that we're seeing on the street. I've seen that before. Nothing's changed, and I can tell you that a lot of these young people that are out there, these anarchists, a lot of them come from broken homes. Or they come from exactly situations like you said. They live in an apartment with a bunch of other young people. They don't have any patriarchal authority in their life. And, uh, and you can just see they follow their, uh, their disordered passions and emotions. And uh, I've told cops, I said, if, if everybody would follow the Catholic prescription on marriage and family life, cops would be almost out of a job. Because most of the situations that they respond to are family disturbance calls. And, be, and why? When you get there, you'll always find 
uh, looking at all these teachings now and I'm projecting back into my career, I'm seeing situations where the household is not functioning because there's no proper order in the house. Uh, Dan, can you comment? I mean, Kyle, can you comment specifically in this last segment? I want you and Dan to comment specifically. Let's just get right down to the nitty gritty. I want you to go through the, the male role as father outlined. Break it down. The male role, the twofold authority that he has, wife and children. Uh, he has the power to pray impeccatory prayers, also deprecatory prayers. Uh, when the children leave the house, now he has the right of counsel. So I want you to focus specifically because I want to reach men with this message. They have to know who they are as a result of being in Christ through baptism and confirmation. You're listening to the Liberal Crystal War College situation, high-level Catholic spiritual warfare. We'll be right back. Subscribe to this button and share it with others. Help the Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and volunteers, is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the help of the helpless benefactors, the children are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help children thrive and become self-sufficient young adults leading productive lives. We also provide aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical assistance, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's. In Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877-762-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Libercristo War College Situation Room. By the way, uh, go to libercristo.org, libercristo.org. If you want information, uh, we've uh, we got infomercials, but uh, we just uh, <laughs> there's been an oversight here. 
If you want to find out all the conferences and all the teachings that are coming up in the near future, go to libercristo.org. We got Dan Kyle, uh, Dan and Kyle here from uh, the instructors from Liber Crystal War College. And I want to get right into the issue of the father's role. This is so important because if fathers get this right, I think, for example, all the rioters that we see outside in the different cities, I actually believe, I don't think they come from, say, a good Catholic patriarchal household where dad is praying over them, blessing them at night, doing deliverance prayers, teaching them to live in a state of grace, uh, you know, teaching them the, the deposit of faith. That's my guess. I don't think there's a bunch of practicing Catholics out there doing what they're doing. So uh, I want to ask Kyle, uh, specifically for men, give us the do's and don'ts for a Catholic man. And also somebody's asking, uh, what about if, uh, if my children are adopted? What if I have foster kids, I've adopted these children. Do I still have the authority as a man, as a Catholic man over them, uh, if uh, if I didn't uh, if I didn't sire my these children with my wife, Kyle. Okay, to your first question, Jesse. I think that all men uh, see themselves as a protector of the house, and and kind of that that image that we call up is we're standing at the top of the stairs at three a.m. in our boxer shorts and a ball bat, ready to repel the intruder. Um, replace that image with the father who as he goes around and turns out the lights every night, I don't know a dad that doesn't turn out the lights, turns out the lights and checks the doors are locked. Pray, pray the St. Michael prayer, pray the uh, St. Michael chaplet, bless your home, bless your children. You got to be hands-on. You've got to be participatory. The man's role, first and foremost, very simply, the primary role, masculine role, is to tell clean from unclean what is good for the souls that are placed in your care, what is not good for the souls placed in your care. And then you have to in it, you have to articulate, this is clean, this is not clean. You can only do that if you yourself are clean. You have to be pure. You have to be chaste. You cannot imagine the diabolical invitation you give as a man if you view pornography in your home, if you're not present to your family. If you're, when you're failing, it's not about you. It's about them. Fatherhood is not by merit. Authority is not by merit. It's by providence. God chose to place these souls in your care for your salvation as well as theirs. And so you, you get a cosmic commission when you are a father, when you, and I'm speaking to priests as well, when, you, when souls are placed in your care, either biologically and or spiritually, then you are placed in a position of sacrifice. That is the primary male role is, sell, is sacrifice. You are the priest of your domestic church. You have to purify yourself, and then you have to live your life for those souls because you're God's presence to those souls, nothing short of that. Um, Dan We'll clean this up, hopefully, with it was well, I know he will, he always does, but Dan will, will speak to this from a, a strategic standpoint, from a scriptural standpoint, from an understanding that that is the masculine role is to make sacrifice and is to correct those in our in our charge. We're not friends, we're fathers, and those are two very, very, very different things. Your your children will have plenty of friends, they'll only have one father. And so they're gonna look for that 
leadership, they're going to look for that and they're going to find that either in a crowd of, of rebels or they're going to find it uh, at the knee of a father who speaks directly to their soul. And they'll learn soon enough that your concern is for their eternal salvation, not their temporal happiness. First observation. Now to answer your question with regard to adoption, we get a lot of these cases. You do have authority over those children. It is complete and, and authority may be partial or plenary. It may be complete or incomplete. But if they still have contact with their biological parents, there's a significant diminishment in authority because now they've got two fatherly voices. If they've got, if there are multiple voices speaking as a father, and this is, happens even in mothers and fathers, women, when you speak as a father, when you speak as a male, you're diminishing the authority of your husband. This is very, very significant. And we see this a lot because this modern creep of definition of marriage this modern modernism and this the idea that we're equal, that we're partners. We are not equal. Let's get that out there. It's beyond equality. We're not partners. It's beyond partnership. It's beyond all of that. There is a totality and a synchronism in a marriage that is required of the man and the woman. Now, Father used a term, and I want to punctuate it here and then pass this to Dan, but the term that he used was solemn contract. Understand something. Marriage is not a covenant as the word covenant is used in a Protestant context. Covenants transcend ages. They're made between deities and humans. They're not made from one human to another. They bind you to a previous agreement. If you've ever lived in a neighborhood that had covenants, um, you realize that it doesn't matter. When you buy your house, you're bound by that which was written and, and agreed to by somebody before. So covenant is a unique form of contract that's describing Israel's relationship with God, where they are the people of God, and it transcends a generational relationship. That's, that's a forever relationship. So the use of covenant in the Protestant context in Canon 1055 speaks again to the weakness of the Vatican II documents, and their, whatever their intent may have been, the fruit is now clear. Um, so it's a solemn contract, which means that if the other party breaches the contract, I am not released. If my wife is unfaithful, I am not released from my obligation under the contract. This is a travesty modernly because we've got priests and, and uh, judicial vicars and others telling women, if your husband was unfaithful, you can get an annulment. This is ludicrous. This goes against centuries of canon law and church practice. So the fact that we're getting this advice from uh, this, this errant advice, even from clergy, doesn't make it so. The demon will be all over that because he's, he's about right and wrong. He will only yield if he has to yield. He does not yield to speculative theology. He only yields where he's, he's required to yield. So you, you've got to ask on the adoption, is this authority diminished in any way? Is this authority perfected through the state? Do, have I adopted them? Have they taken my name? We find this in stepchildren all the time where a stepfather says, my children, I don't seem to have any authority. Um, well, did, did they take your name? Well, no, uh, you know, they, they got their father's name. Well, then you're raising someone else's children by proxy. You, you don't have authority or, or plenary authority. And so authority is by degrees in these situations. 
if you sired the child in the sacrament of matrimony, then you've got plenary authority, complete authority up until the age of majority. Then that transfers to right of counsel. And so that's what Father's talking about. But all of this discussion presupposes a right ordered sacrament of matrimony and the understanding that it's a valid sacrament. So when we step out of the validity, then authority becomes diminished or diluted. And so I'm going to pass it to Dan. Dan, let me Dan. ask you, uh, Dan, two questions real quick. Once the kids are out of the house, uh, can, can, I know father has a, dad has a right of counsel. Can dad still pray uh, deprecatory prayers over his children who are no longer living with him? A, that's the first question. Second question is, this is common. The, woman, the mom has a conversion, fired up for the faith, practicing the faith. Dad's a deadbeat. Does mom have the authority to be praying, to be the, the one praying deliverance prayers in the house, say the Exilium Christianorum, as dad is watching, uh, you know, Gilligan's Island reruns and, uh, you know, doesn't go to mass? Uh, can mom step in, the, in, into the breach, so to speak? Two questions. Question number one, yes. Question number two, no. Do you want... <laughs> Okay. The deprecatory, yes. We, we not only can we, we should be praying deprecatory. But remember what Father says that the relationship for the father is different to his sons as to his daughters. The daughter needs that protection for her virtue, her purity. She she's spiritually vulnerable even as an adult. So the father, and, until she enters into her, her own uh, uh, marital relationship, that sacramental construct, the father needs to be praying imprecatory for her to protect her. And the deprecatory for the sons once they, once they once they leave the you know past the age of reason, but yeah, we should be doing deprecatory on a regular basis. Um, on the second one, the, this comes up uh, very often. The best thing you can do in that situation is is remember, father father showed how the authority of imprecatory has to do has to do with the the rights of, to, the, uh, to the, the the bodily rights of the spouses one over the other. This is Ephesians uh, five twenty one. Um, from that does not give full authority over the evil one. Her best, her best effort is to is to beseech the Lord um, and and offer sacrifices for her husband for his conversion to move his will um, and to live as Paul says to the to the Corinthians to you know as the um, the unbelieving wife um, through her life her faith her witness and we would say as Catholics continuing that and showing that in sacrifice and her devotion her own piety. Um, to move the heart of her husband, uh, which, you know, uh, towards, towards conversion. It just takes time. It just takes time. We're not, it's taken, you know, so many marriages are in a bad way. Um, it just takes time to, to, to bring them back. You know, you've taken 20 years for this disorder to really get into place. It's just going to take time to get things back into order, but, but have, be of good cheer. It, this is why we have, God blesses us. So many of us with so many years of life to make satisfaction and try to repair those things uh, to, to, you know, that, that, that have gone awry in our own personal relationships with our family, et cetera. I would encourage the listeners as well to go back and re-listen. Every time I hear this teaching by father, I get something new as, as, as a father uh, and as a husband. I get something new from this. There's a lot of richness in there. The demon will listen. He must listen to that. He will respond to, to us being precise in our prayers uh, and understanding what we, what we call hierarchy is, is a bad thing in, in today's modern you know, world. But hierarchy really literally means holy order 
or a sacred rule or sacred order or priestly rule where there is a delineation of roles. And I hear the music, brother. I hear the music. That's it. We'll, we'll pick have, it up next time. We'll pick it up next time. We'll have, I think we'll have to do a part two on authority for the right to command the demonic. I think it warrants a part two. Thank you for joining us for this presentation of Liber Crystal War College presented by the Liber Crystal Foundation. Go to libercrystal.org. And uh, my name is Jesse Romero signing off from the battlefront. Get holy or die trying. God bless you. Keep the faith. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.